Welcome to episode 13 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, we'll give you the top five tips for hiking your own hike. The Summit Gear Review will show your mother-in-law that yes, there is a better way to boil water. The Backpack Hack of the Week, you'll stun your trail mates with a three ounce solution to a 200 pound problem. And we'll wrap up the show with a little trail wisdom from an old friend who's not afraid to wear a toga in public. All this, and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. You know, I think all backpackers can agree that one of the hardest parts of backpacking is those eight hours when your feet aren't moving. Sleeping while on a backpacking trip can be tricky. What are some things that have come between you and a good night's sleep, Josh? I think uh, one of the things is noise, especially if I'm camping near a river. I mean, if it's very quiet, then it's nice because it actually covers up some of the other noises. But when it's a rushing river, it's just, I mean, it's constantly in your ears. Or a waterfall. And then little, you know, critter noises that happen or the wind starts blowing. It doesn't take much of a wind to really get the forest excited. Well, I've had some issues with sleep while camping and backpacking. And I would have to say my number one thing that I've had to figure out is how to sleep comfortably on my side. That's been kind of a, uh, I was going to say thorn in my side. (laughs) It's been kind of a tricky thing. Like, you know, you're used to the the squishiness of a bed, and uh, you don't really have that on the trail unless you have one of those blow-up air mattresses. Another issue that a lot of backpackers have is being too cold. Yeah, and sometimes it's not a matter of being dangerously cold. It's just being a little bit cooler than you're used to. Right, uncomfortably cold. Yeah, and so you're fine, you're safe, but you just you keep waking up. I, I think we have a few solutions for people who are struggling with sleep on the trail. So one of the things that I figured out for comfort is that I really need to have a pillow. And whether that's a pillow that I bring with me that's one of those compactable, you know, travel pillows, or if I just use a stuff sack stuffed with clothing, having a pillow really helps helps me to feel comfortable. Another thing that really helped my comfort level was to use a second pillow for my hips. This might just be a girl issue. I don't know. Have you ever experienced like hip bruising from sleeping on a on a sleeping pad? I'm usually laying on my front or my back, uh, so it's not really an issue for me. On a recent trip, I brought along a homemade little pillow filled with styrofoam beads that was just like the perfect cushion. It just provided the perfect cradle for my hips. So if you become too cold in the middle of the night, there are some things that you can do to alleviate that. Yeah, simply you can put on a hat. That's going to conserve a lot of energy because you've already got the sleeping bag around you. And so you're losing most of your heat through your head at that point. Yeah, another thing that uh, is really helpful is to eat something. Yeah, it's good to have a little fuel just right there before bedtime. Another thing that you can do is do sit-ups in your sleeping bag so you're creating that extra heat. Yeah, or use a sleeping bag liner to give you a little extra. I usually keep my hat and socks off 
uh, right next to my head. And then I keep my sleeping bag a little bit open when I go to bed. So if, if I feel like I've got my sleeping bag all bundled up and I'm just right as far as temperature goes, then that's a red flag for me that later in the night I'm going to be too cold. So I want to be in my sleeping bag and I want to be a little bit too hot and then open it back up when I first go to bed so that I won't be too hot. Uh, that way later in the night I can zip it up a little further to get, give me that extra insulation. I can pull my hat out from next to my pillow and put that on uh, or I can put my socks on. Okay, what about when it's too bright? Like when it's uh, June 21st and the sun's up at 4 a.m.? Easy solution for that. Just grab your wool buff and wrap it around your eyes like a blind chicken. <laughs> All right. Uh, we reviewed the wool buff in episode nine a few weeks ago. Lots of backpackers also like to bring a set of earplugs if it's too loud. You know, if you have some really crazy neighbors, like some beavers or loud hawks. Well, like, like we talked about, you've got the wind, you've got <laughs> maybe that rushing river next to you. Yeah, if you have like a rushing river next to you or a waterfall or other loud animals that are making it hard for you to sleep, a set of earplugs is really helpful. So have you ever had that experience where um, you're sleeping and you're kind of coming in and out of consciousness and you can actually yes. hear your ears turning on and off? I'm just laying there and I can actually like, I hear silence and then I hear the river or whatever's next to our campsite. And then it goes back to silence and it hey, kind of cuts in and out. I've had that experience on an airplane before. Yeah. Yeah. I've had it there too. Now, the other phenomenon that I was thinking of is um, when, you're, when you're drifting in and out of consciousness and you can't tell if you're asleep or awake and you spend a lot of the night like that and, and you think when you've woken up that you've gotten this horrible night's sleep because you've kind of just been, you feel like you've been awake for most of the night. But it's an, it's an interesting phenomenon that I think a lot of backpackers experience. They'll have a restless or an uncomfortable or even a cold night, and they'll wake up the next morning just probably even dreading that it's going to be a really hard day. But for some reason, you're just filled with adrenaline, you're excited to go, and it's like, it's like that rough night's sleep doesn't really have the same impact that it would if you had that same night at home. Yeah, I've experienced that and really didn't notice it until recently. It was really just last year on a couple of campouts that I noticed um, this sort of phenomenon. One, I, I was up the Clackamas River in Oregon with our sons on an overnight campout. We were next to a rushing river, and also I think we had a little bit of off and on rain through the night. And I felt like I was awake all night. <laughs> I really I felt like I never truly got to sleep. But then the next day, I, I had a pretty full day the next day, and I was fine. I, I didn't have a headache, which I kind of expected to have. Um, I wasn't all foggy-minded. And then I noticed it again uh, the next month when I went camping again with the boys in the coast range of Oregon, and it poured all night. And so same thing. I just felt like I never got to sleep that night. Well, we had a really full day the next day. We went out to the coast and played at the ocean. I, I ran probably a couple miles and I felt fine. And it wasn't really until those past couple experiences last year that I realized that I don't have to have a perfect night's sleep in order to get enough rest when I'm out backpacking. I, I really don't know what it is. I don't know the science behind it, but it was really interesting. Yeah, we'll just call it the backpacker's sleep phenomenon. 
Yeah, it was like as long as I was laying there with my eyes closed, even if I wasn't fully in deep sleep, it was enough for my body to, to become rested. That's interesting. I've heard about different sleep patterns that humans have had in the past, like especially when if the humans were more agrarian and, you know, had to get up in the middle of the night to help a cow or something. You know, they had these, I guess, sleep periods, at, you know, several hours, and then they'd wake up and do something productive and sleep for a few more hours. And I don't know, maybe we're going back to our primal roots. Maybe we are when we're out backpacking. Well, you know, if I were to leave kind of a final tip on sleeping, I would say get used to it, and not in a mean way, but really you sleep so well at home because you're used to it. You're in exactly the same place every night, exactly the same surroundings, the same environment. And then you go out backpacking, and it's something you only do once in a while, and so you're in this totally different environment. But if you keep doing it, and you go out on a lot of trips, or you go out on some extended trips, go out for a whole week, uh, you get sleeping better and better over time because your body just gets used to those surroundings and becomes comfortable sleeping there. If you're tempted to take sleeping pills to help you on the trail, I would discourage against it. It's a little bit risky and it doesn't fix the root of the problem. It may leave you unable to react quickly. Yeah, good advice. We have a top five list for you today. It is the top five tips for hiking your own hike. Well, if you spend any time on the internet, you'll find this uh, H-Y-O-H, the hike your own hike. Uh, philosophy? Philosophy, <laughs> which is basically about the idea that uh, when you're out hiking, you can take your own approach to things. Uh, you don't have to do things exactly like someone else does. In fact, we share a lot of tips on, on this podcast, but you're going to come up with your own tips. So to help you hike your own hike, we've come up with some great tips. So number one, don't be defensive. There is no manual that says you have to hike a certain number of miles a day or love sleeping on a closed cell phone pad. And if you enjoy a little bit of glamping now and then, you have absolutely no need to defend yourself or your decisions. You know, you may be teased a little bit if you choose to bring some designer sunglasses on the trail, but it's all in good fun. <laughs> that reminds me. <laughs> on a hike we took, you had the lightest pack in the whole group, but the one luxury item that you had, oh, no. the, the glamping or glamour item that you had on this trip was a set of curlers. I brought a set of foam curlers. Okay, they weighed oh, probably less than an ounce. I don't even know if I weighed them. I just thought it would be fun to do my hair in camp. <laughs> right. So you never had time to use them on that trip. <laughs> but, no, I didn't. <laughs> but you did get a, a, some uh, teasing from the group. <laughs> I did. Yeah, and I'll, I'll definitely bring them on another trip. So Josh and I have different goals on the trail usually. He's more of the achiever. For me, it's all about uh, achieving the hike, achieving you know, that experience and a destination, the challenge and completing it. In fact, uh, my dad loves fishing. And uh, growing up, I never really adopted his love of fishing because for me, I hadn't achieved unless I had actually caught a fish. Now for him, it was just the experience that was fun. He loved fishing. It didn't matter if he caught anything or not, but it mattered for me. And so it was unfulfilling for me to go out so many times and not catch anything. So for me, hiking and backpacking was just a lot more fulfilling because it's like I could always achieve 
my goal. So that, that's a big thing for me. But for you, it's more about experiencing, you know, not the achievement, but the experience of the trip. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I love to bring music with me and, you know, make it a full experience and stop on the trail and look at things and talk to people and, you know, just kind of enjoy the experience. And I just have to add a side note about your dad. He's an amazing fisherman. So he's definitely an achiever when it comes to fishing. <laughs> the second tip is to not be offensive. Every hiker that you meet is eager to smile and make a brief, short connection with other fellow hikers. Keep that culture alive by being friendly. The trail is a no-judging zone, and so everyone that you come across is your instant friend. You don't have to make a deep connection, just a friendly hello or a brief chat or a simple smile and nod just to kind of keep that culture alive, that friendly backpacking culture. It's just such an intrinsic part of backpacking. So it's important to be nice, to not be offensive to others, to, to not do things that are going to destroy other people's experience of that trip. In fact, on the Appalachian Trials site, and that's Appalachian Trials, not Trails, they did a couple blog posts by Kenny Howell, and it was called When Hike Your Own Hike Does Not Apply. It was a really good two-part article about this idea that you're out there to, to have your own experience, but you need to be courteous and where your enjoyment or your activities start to impinge on someone else's experience is where Hike Your Own Hike ends or does not apply. If you want to read that uh, blog post, um, go check out the show notes for today's show and uh, follow that link to that blog post. Tip number three for hiking your own hike, don't stay silent. There are several situations where you may want to speak up. If the group is planning on doing something that you're not prepared to do, like if you don't have the equipment or if you have never done it before, uh, another situation where you may want to speak up is if you feel like you have a health issue, like tightening of the chest, or if you have food poisoning, or if you're experiencing some altitude sickness, even if you can't articulate all of your symptoms, or if you're just, you just feel odd, there's someone in the group that can probably help you, or you can um, the group can take you down to a lower elevation. So don't feel like you need to stay silent, and don't feel like you're being the whiny one or the complaining one if you bring up these symptoms. Another reason that you may want to speak up is if you have some equipment or gear that broke. Backpackers are naturally generous and giving people. And so if you have something that broke, there's someone in your group or along the trail that will be able to help you either fix it, figure it out, or loan you theirs so you can complete your trip and have a good experience. The number four tip for hiking your own hike is to welcome opportunities to grow on the trail. You'll be challenged. You'll be tired. You'll have parts that ache. For the most part, though, you'll need to push past those challenges to reach a new place. So if you're kicking against the pricks, then you might miss the opportunity to learn from others and to push yourself a little bit further. Don't be afraid to smile in the face of these challenges to encourage those around you, and look for opportunities to serve others and grow on the trail. 
this was something that that really impressed me about you on your first 40 miler. When you were considering going, I was worried that your expectations were going to be very different from your experience and that that would result in a lot of stress and, and discomfort. But you took the right attitude of being willing to face uh, the challenges that came up and experience the, the hike. And so uh, you just got out there and, and ran with it. And, and that makes all the difference in the experience. Well, I would have to say we were with a really positive group of people that were just naturally happy and didn't complain. And so that made it really easy to, to follow suit and learn from them and just welcome those opportunities to grow. Tip number five for hiking your own hike. Remember that it's not a winner-takes-all sport. The only players are you and Mother Nature. You're not separate teams. You and Mother Nature are kind of on the same team, but you're not always playing the same game by the same rules. Mother Nature is a much stronger team, much stronger force. No one who leaves a trip early and leaves alive ever loses the game. You're really matching your skills against Mother Nature and making wise decisions. And as long as you had an experience out there and you come back alive, that's a win. Well, so we encourage you to hike your own hike. Uh, Find the things that work for you. Uh, But we hope that these tips help. Uh, Really, attitude makes a huge difference in your enjoyment of a backpacking trip. Here on the first 40 miles, we created the Summit Gear Review. Summit stands for Structure, Utility, Mass, Maintenance, Investment, and Trial. Today on the Summit Gear Review, we are reviewing the Jet Boil Flash. Yeah, if you've ever had an experience where you've talked to a friend who's just come home from a really cool vacation and they just say how amazing it is, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you actually end up going to that place and you're like, this is amazing. That's exactly how this jet boil flashes. You might have heard people talk about it or you might have seen reviews online or watched some YouTube videos and they're just like saying how amazing it is and how fast it is. It really is one of the most amazing pieces of technology to hit backpacking in a long time. Well, the jet boil flash is super simple to use and that's what I love about it. So As you open it up, you've got a little uh, kind of stand made of plastic that goes on the ground and it kind of clips onto the bottom of your fuel canister to give you some extra stability. So it's kind of optional. You screw the Jetboil stove itself into the fuel canister and it has the um, ignition sparker built into it so you don't need matches. You might want them as a backup and they're a good 10 essential kind of item, but the stove uh, doesn't require them. You then attach the built-in pot that comes with the stove, and the pot has a lid. So you just put it all together like that, put your water in, it's got a fill mark for the two cup uh, level, and then it's even got an indicator on the side of that pot that tells you when your water's boiling. So you just turn it on, push the button to ignite it, wait for about two minutes, and you'll see the the flame indicator on the side of the pot turns color and you know your water's boiling. So simple to use. And no windscreen is needed for this stove. I mean, the heat goes straight up into the pot that attaches onto the stove. The pot is even insulated on the, the sides and so it's super efficient. You don't feel hardly any heat coming out from the sides or the top 
or anywhere around the jet boil stove, practically all of the heat is going just to the water. So it's super efficient that way. Now I will say the jet boil is really meant to boil water and most of the meals you do when you're backpacking just require boiling water. So it's really the way to go. But it does come with an optional attachment that you can put onto the stove that converts it into what you would consider to be a typical stove where you could set you know, a frying pan or a saucepan on top of it. So that option is available if you need it. But this is super good at boiling water. Uh, they say it takes about two minutes to boil water. That's going from probably room temperature up to boiling in a room temperature environment. And that's with a full fuel canister. So two minutes is going to be like your, your fastest time. And really, we experienced the two-minute time a lot on a recent trip that we took. So if you visit the show notes for this episode, thefirst40miles.com slash 013 for episode 13. Uh, we have a little video there in the show notes where we'll show you and, and we'll illustrate what happens when it sparks incorrectly and then how you can just tweak the ignition wire to get it over where it needs to be and get the right spark. So this stove comes in at 15 ounces and it's about seven by four inches. So it's pretty compact for a cooking system. And the nice thing is with the jet boil, the fuel canister actually packs up inside. So the entire stove, including your fuel, uh, when it's packed up and ready to go into your pack, four inches in diameter, seven inches long. You're going to pay about $100 for this stove, but I have to tell you, everyone says it's worth it. It's an amazing piece of equipment. And don't worry about the price of the fuel canisters. They're relatively cheap, you know, 3 to $5 for a canister that lasts quite a long time. So definitely put the jet boil flash on your wish list. Are you ready for the backpack hack of the week? I'm ready. If you want to have really clean clothes on the trail, then you could rent a dolly and bring your 200-pound washing machine and then maybe talk your friend into carrying a truck battery so you can run your washing machine. Could I have you carry a truck battery and I could have someone else carry the washing machine and we can roll this it up? This is the worst hack worst idea ever. ever. <laughs> okay, this is actually a three-ounce solution that will get your clothes decently stench-free and 68% as clean as the clothes that you wear to work. So what you do is you go to the dollar store and you buy one of those 42-ounce bottles of unscented laundry detergent. And you'll want to buy unscented because... The smell in the scented bottles can linger even after you use up the product. So buy unscented laundry detergent, and you'll want to either use up the laundry detergent at home or just transfer it to another container. So the great thing about the actual container, this 42-ounce bottle, it has a 2.5-inch wide lid, and it has a 3-inch handle. So you have a really good-sized opening for stuffing in your dirty clothes. And then you have a handle so that you can either hang the DIY washing machine off of your pack, or you can just hold on to it and shake it. And this comes in at 2.9 ounces, or 80 grams. And in this little washing machine, you can probably fit a couple pairs of socks, some sock liners, a bandana, a pair of skivvies, whatever you want to stick in there. Probably not a pair of pants, but you know, maybe a short sleeve shirt or something. And all you have to do is add water with a little bit of biodegradable camp soap. And some people even use baking soda to get rid of the extra stinky smells and shake it for 10 minutes. Or you can attach it to your pack while you hike to agitate it. 
and it really doesn't use a lot of water. You just want to put in enough water so it saturates your clothes. Then once it's agitated long enough, you just want to drain it, squeeze out the water, and hang it out to dry. When you dump out your gray water and squeeze the excess water out of your clothes, just make sure that you don't do that next to a water source. Try to scatter your gray water so that you're not dumping it all in one place. So if clean clothes are important to you on the trail, then this is a simple, cheap, three-ounce solution. That's great. And I'm going to add that this is a high-efficiency clothes washer. All right. Well, we'll leave you with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Aristotle. Ah, that's the guy who likes to wear togas. That's, you thought it was you? Uh, no, no, not oh, me. Okay. <laughs> because once in a while, right? <laughs> right, yeah. No, I don't think so. <laughs> well, Aristotle said, nature does nothing uselessly. Simple enough. I believe it. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this podcast, like us on Facebook, rate us on iTunes, or Stitcher Radio. See you next time on The First 40 Miles. Is that too much information for this podcast? <laughs> You're the person. You're the guy who's not afraid to push that little button that makes it go click, click. <laughs> right. Or any store that sells cheap stuff. Okay. So <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. <laughs>